Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to another episode of Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Andrew Davidson, SVP and Chief Insights Officer for Compare Media, based in New York. And in today's episode, I'm joined by three retail experts to discuss the emerging trend of frictionless shopping. This is centered around removing any barriers along the consumer's path to purchase. Now, the first of what you'll hear today was actually recorded a few weeks back before the spread of COVID-19 started to really impact our daily lives, a pre-COVID-19 analysis, if you will. In the second part of the episode, my guests and I revisit the topic, given the current retail climate and the impact of COVID-19 on the industry. With that, let's get started with an introduction to our guests. So joining me to discuss this important topic, I have three retail experts, Alexis DeSalva and Diana Smith in Chicago and Nick Carroll in London. Welcome to the pod. Thank you, Andrew. Excited to be here. Hello. Hello. Thank you, Andrew. Welcome. So if you could just, before we get started, if you just sort of please introduce yourselves, uh, just, you know, what's your role here at Mintel and uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, how long have you been sort of covering your area of expertise? Sure, I will start. Um, I am Alexis DeSalva. I am the Senior Retail and E-Commerce Analyst here at Mintel. Um, I've been at Mintel for over three years, but I've been in this industry um, for more than 10, not to start dating myself. Um, But prior to Mintel, I was um, in merchant and analyst roles for other retailers as well. Hi, and uh, I'm Nick Carroll. I'm the Associate Director of Retail Research uh, here in London in the UK. Um, I myself have been with Mintel for coming up to six years now, um, previously working in retail on the shop floor. Hello, I'm Diana Smith, and I'm an Associate Director of Retail and Apparel here at Mintel in Chicago. And I've been with the company for more than five years now, and I am responsible for writing several of our more broad-based retail reports, such as omni-channel retailing and the Amazon effect, as well as some channel-specific reports, such as drugstores and sporting goods retailing. So happy to be here. Great. Okay, brilliant. Well... So I always like to start with the basics. So, and I tend to come at this, you know, from the perspective of payments, you know, given my background. But obviously, this idea of frictionless uh, retail or frictionless shopping is is much broader. It's much uh, there's much more to it than just the actual payment side. So I thought we'd start with, you know, just uh, let's just sort of put some, you know, let's put let's just define it and say what is the what is frictionless retail all about. Um, well, I can take that one. Um, I think, I, you know, the term itself probably hasn't made itself into Webster's Dictionary yet. But in general, it, it, what we understand frictionless retail to be is that it's referring to this idea of a seamless or pain-free shopping experience, you know, where there's no friction and uh, irrespective of where the customer is buying or how the customer is interacting with retailers you know in reality that's not a new idea good retailers always been based on the idea as making it as easy as possible to buy from you however this term has risen as you know the retail environment uh, either in store or online has been more complex 20 years ago you may have just had one checkout now we have mobile checkouts we have you know self service we have click and collect and various other options and not even thinking about online. So in reality, frictionless retail is about the idea of giving customers choice, making the shopping experience as pain-free, no 
matter how they uh, want to shop with you. And so, and we're talking about the entire retail experience rather than mm-hmm. just the payments part. So, yeah. all right. So that's the definition. So, first, so I want to go to each of you and, I, and ask you, I, I thought well, I'm going to ask you to tell me, you know, what's your favorite, just thinking back to something you've done recently, what's your favorite personal frictionless shopping experience? In other words, when you bought something recently and you just thought, well, that was just so easy. Everything should work this way. Uh, do you have some interesting personal experiences you can share? Um, I will start. So this is Alexis. I uh, wanted to share my recent um, transaction with Rent the Runway. So for those who don't know, they are a rental um, subscription service. You can rent them on a one-time basis or you can do what I do, which is a monthly membership. So you pay a set fee. Um, You can get, for my membership, it's four pieces a month and then you can choose to swap um, one or a couple or all of them or none of them. And then, you know, if you swap it, you get a new item for that next month and you have it for the entire month. Um, the reason why I chose this is for a few things, because I think sometimes when we think about frictionless, we think, oh, like you said, Andrew, only about payments or maybe about just one part of the purchase process, um, whether it's making product discovery easier, easier, making the transaction easier, or making um, any kind of post-purchase communication easier. And I really think they do a good job of making the whole process not only easier, mm. but more interesting. Um, so the way they do that is they notify you when it is your day to swap. Um, so that is basically the day you get billed. And then you can look online or in their app and you can, you, they have so many customer photos there. And then they also have a lot of customer reviews. They really rely on their customers to kind of give additional um, feedback to other users. So you can see like, if do I really want this shirt or is it going to be too short or too open or whatever? Um, and then kind of helps you inform your purchases. They also narrow down um, really specific product um, suggestions based on your purchase history, based on your sizing information that you put in, based on um, things, other things you've liked on their page. So they kind of are actively taking that information you're giving them and giving you something back Mm. that's valuable. So it's making that product discovery process easier. They send you your items within, I think it's like two or three days, but then you can choose like for me, there's a rent the runway showroom on the way to our office here in Chicago. So often what I will do is I will bring my items with me to work and then drop them off on the way to work or on the way home and then wait for my next month's shipment to get sent to my house the next day. If I didn't want to do it, I could just drop them in the mail. I see girls here bringing into the office and taking it to the mail room. Um, So they're making that that part of the process a lot easier as well um and i think it's really interesting because then they they keep that conversation going um they send you an end of the year recap that shows you like your breakdown of styles designers you've tried maybe ones you haven't tried to kind of you know help you figure out what else is out there and make that discovery discovery process easier so i think that example is about not just quantity yeah. of vir- frictionless shopping how many points can i make easier but the quality what can i do so they've really thought easier. about it, it throughout the entire process and really sort of simplifying the decision for you exactly and i think the origin of that comes out of the fact that they started online only and they only have um, a limited amount of physical spaces so they really are relying on 
online, on social media, and on mail, basically, to, you know, make their um, their experience easier. So it's kind of, again, like, how can I add a depth of um, frictionless shopping, not just what, like, mm. here's free shipping. That sounds a really interesting one. I'm wearing them too right <laughs> Not sponsored. Not sponsored. Well, what are you wearing you to describe it? This is uh, audio. It's a wrap top. I was going to show the video, but not that anyone could see this. Purple wrap top and plaid pants, for those who are interested. I'll keep it to that. <laughs> I think what my best experience recently of frictionless retail is, you know, one that got me out of a vague crisis I was happening. So I was uh, late to a meeting, and just before I'd left the house, my cat decided it was a great time to jump on me. And so there was fur all over my nice suit, but I didn't have time to try and sort it out in the house. So I left and on the way uh, to the tube, I Googled uh, lint roller. So, you know, a roller to take that fluff off my Ooh. thing. But I Googled it in the area that my meeting would be. And instantly, uh, a Sainsbury's local type of a convenience store uh, in the UK popped up saying it had that. That wouldn't be a place that I'd usually think of going, but I didn't have time to check anywhere. Went in and they had two in stock. Now that might seem a bit basic, but that but that is happening because Sainsbury's is working with Google, logging its um, stock and its SKU count on site. So for is an example of how, you know, in the modern society, we, we do go to the internet and search for everything first. And it's mm-hmm. not simply, you know, showing those results on site. It's also showing them uh, through platforms like Google and specifically Google Maps so that people are getting real world information that, you know, isn't just benefiting the online channel, but is also benefiting the store-based channel. So that was a nice, uh, yes, for I, me at least. I love that. I love that story. I was Sainsbury's to the rescue. With some <laughs> yes, exactly. Again, not sponsored by Sainsbury's. All good, re- all good retailers are out there. Exactly, Should be though. But they did Man. come to my aid in, that, uh, in the hour of need. Excellent. Uh, Were you <laughs> able to do like a click and collect for that or no or did you just no, still have I had to, to, um, I had to trust that the good there. people at Sainsbury's had their uh, had you know yeah. their tech in, in the right place but no they did and you know quickly lint rolled myself on Regent Street and then I was off to my meeting so you know these types of things uh, you know can come to uh, the aid of those in desperate need you could just buy a purse and keep one in your purse like I do yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> get a yeah. man or bag. indeed or indeed rent one gosh I feel um, so boring here because my example <laughs> is is just a lot more uh, simple um, but what I was thinking about when you asked this question Andrew is um Recently, I bought something on Amazon, which I know a lot of people do, and (laughs) I decided that I needed to make a return, Um, and, you know, it turns out what I had purchased were a pair of angel wings for Halloween, and I I really just... it wasn't working out. Oh, <laughs> so no, that's not, not that That's like the point of my story, but <laughs> I needed to return these angel wings. And, you know, I'm a real creature of convenience, and I just want things to be as frictionless as possible. And I had heard about the partnership with Amazon and Kohl's, where Kohl's was offering the opportunity to take free Amazon returns. So since I cover retail for my job, I also wanted to test this out um, and take care of my return at the same time. Mm. And so I went to the Kohl's and the Amazon return area was right in the front of the store. So I, I didn't even have to go searching for it. And there was no line. 
Um, I went right up to the counter and they just took it without asking me any questions. And honestly, I was, I, I was in and out of there in like less than a minute. It was just really, really so easy. Wow. And I just like this mm. example because I think this is exemplary of what we will continue to see in terms of retailers, mm. uh, maybe even unusual partners um, like this continuing to partner up um, to add together uh, some more added uh, conveniences for consumers like this, kind of eliminating some of the, the friction. When, yeah, when you're, retur- when you're returning angel wings, that's you right, don't want any you know? friction. So that's the... <laughs> but, uh, what's interesting... No uh, questions <laughs> asked. Uh, what's interesting, you've all sort of, uh, also sort of touched on different aspects, right, of the whole process, like from the, you know, is it in stock to, you know, the delivery and return and trying things on, all sort of different aspects of where this whole sort of frictionless experience comes in. Recently, there was another Amazon Go stores just popped up in New York, um, and of course Amazon Go are these stores where where now you can you can walk in as long as you've got the Amazon Go app, and you can sort of without going through the uh, cash register, you can just sort of walk out of the store. Uh, although actually now they do accept cash um, as very recently, but there are now eighteen of these stores in sort of key cities in New York, Seattle, San Francisco, Chicago. So I know there's quite a few in Chicago. Um, have you, as anyone, I know we've got Dina and Alexis both in Chicago. Have you, have you tried Amazon Go? Yes, actually we did take a, a field trip and visit one of the stores that are close to the office. Oh. And and I have to say, it was How an was amazing that? experience. So we went there to grab some lunch. And so in terms of thinking about like the frictionless process, there was one piece of friction for me personally in that I had not downloaded the app yet. And you have to do that first. And of course, I didn't know That's what right. my, my password was yeah. and all of that. So I had to kind of work through that. But once you get that done, you only have to do it once and then you're, you're good to go. And that's important because that's the way the technology works in that you go into the store and you, you take products off of the shelf and put it into your cart or your bag. And the technology knows what you are taking off of the shelf and putting into your bag so that you can just simply walk out of the store without having to go through any kind of a checkout lane. And the app will automatically charge your account. So that's why you have to download mm. this app because it's all done through the app. And So you hadn't downloaded the app by the, at the time and yet you realized right. you had to download, which of course a lot of people that's, mm-hmm. gonna, that's going to happen to. They'll see this yeah. store, they'll mm-hmm. try and walk in and then they realize they had to download the yeah, app. Yeah, you have to so do did that. Did you actually go on and, and make some purchases in the store? Yeah, I did. We oh, bought you did? Lunch. Yeah, mm-hmm. bought a great... Great salad. I mean, they had a, a nice selection of foods and other. How did, and how did it fi- how did it feel just walking out? It felt like I was totally stealing. A hundred percent. That's what I was going to say. Is like it's interesting because when you think there's this demand, consumers want things easier, faster, better, more convenient, and Amazon. I think arguably has been at the forefront of making the process as frictionless as possible, and yet. It's also like, how much do we actually want? Because I know Diana and I, we were there together and we were both like, it feels like we're stealing. Like, I was like, I don't know if I like this. Did did you try putting things back just to try and confuse it? I I mean, first of all, we went like the day it opened. So it was pretty crowded in there. Um, But it it, it was interesting. But quite frankly, 
I liked it, but I'm, I haven't been mm. back. I haven't either. Yeah. And, and that was probably mm. a year ago at mm. least. Um, so I think it's just, it's not necessarily like a go-to for me because I think I went for the novelty, but the idea of having that be something that is implemented into like my regular um, shopping routine is still a little yeah. foreign, mm-hmm. I think. So I think it's kind of interesting. It's like, how much friction list do right. we want, you know? Or are we well, and you're not going to go, you're going to make a trip, you're not going to travel to, you know, you know, it has to be convenient to you, right? So it's got to be right, right on right. your step before you right. go to, and then you'll sure. maybe choose between, you know, the local store and that. Sure. So to that point, I, Amazon is going to be reportedly expanding the technology into places like stadiums and movie theaters and airports. Oh. So they're going to be bringing the technology to nice. places where consumers are on the go and where it kind of makes sense to intersect with them. And I think that will make the more consumers aware that the technology even exists. So oh. I expect that to really add some, some awareness and, and gain adoption that way. Interesting. If anyone from O'Hare Airport is listening, I hope they end up pretty quickly. Sorry. Nick. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, no, well, I wasn't, you know, Mintel didn't allow me to join you on that trip, despite me, you know, trying to get the costs <laughs> and the uh, budget to do that. But I think a real trend that we've seen here in the UK over the past year is, you know, people looking at Amazon Go and trying to replicate that technology. And the real... Over the past year, most retailers here in the UK have now some form of what we'd call in-aisle checkout system. So using an app, but no scanners, no, you know, you have to self-scan products. So, you know, on most lunch times here, I'll go down to our local co-op and use my phone, scan products. And, you know, to Andrew's point, when you were talking about earlier, this is all handled through Apple Pay. So I don't even have to sign up for an account. It's done all in-app. And then, you know, I still get the same, you know, shoplifting experience that you guys do (laughs) as you're walking outside out the door but I think you know it's been really interesting to watch you know Amazon made that big splash but it's been really interesting to watch how other retailers have looked at that idea of frictionless and implemented it potentially without the same you know costly elements that are within Mm. that store interesting very interesting all right so I so I know uh, Alexis Law in January you were at this the big retail show the NRF um Obviously, that's a mass, huge event that sort of dictates a lot of the trends that are sort of emerging in, in retail. Was frictionless on the agenda? Sure was. So I think what's interesting about NRF is that it really does span um, a variety of categories within the retail industry. So you can have anyone from like Microsoft to Rent the Runway to us from Mintel, Nordstrom. So it's really um, a lot of players. And I, it's always interesting to hear like what is the overarching actually, can, can we just actually, um, uh, for, the, for, for the listeners, where, where is it? How big is it? What, oh, yeah. Sorry. So it's the NRF. It's the National Retail Federation. Um, they do what they call the big show every year in New York City. It's always in January. And it's huge. This year, I think there were 40,000 attendees. Um, and it's like 45 languages that are spoken. Retailers attend, press attends, um, uh, people from the brands attend. So Mintel, myself, we actually um, hosted and moderated a panel Ooh. session all about driving um, content through commerce. So it might not sound like it's a, related to frictionless shopping, but that is one of the overarching themes coming away from that is this basically how can every element um, add to making the experience more frictionless? So 
Um, I believe one of the sessions I was in, um, I I don't want to say whose quote this was because I can't remember, but the quote was that the physical store is retail's best invention. And that was kind of one of the big takeaways was that even though digital continues to evolve and we are shifting more shopping online and making more digital enhancements, that doesn't mean that the physical in-person store experience is, you know, irrelevant. And it's about how can we use both to make however a shopper is browsing or buying, whichever channel they're doing it in, easier and more frictionless. Um, so in my session, we talked about using social commerce, which is going to be a big thing um, that we continues to unfold. So social commerce is using a platform like YouTube or Instagram or Pinterest to really meet that shopper when they're in the product discovery phase and make them get to the transaction and fulfill their purchase in a shorter, easier quicker amount of time. Um, so that could be, you know, the shopping capabilities on Instagram, shopping, um, shoppable post where it's like one click checkout, similar to what Amazon is doing. If you enter in your information on Instagram once, and one of those affiliated, um, brands have a shoppable post, once your information saved in there, you can click and then go, and then your order is fulfilled. Um, so a lot of the conversations are really about how can the experience, whether it is in-store or online, be customized so that we're letting the customers choose what is valuable to them. And that is really what it comes down to is, you know, maybe to Diana's point when she needed to exchange that Halloween purchase, it was, I want to do this quick and easy in return and I don't really want to have any questions asked or whatever. And when Nick needed the lint roller brush, it was, I need it now. You know what I mean? So I'm willing to, maybe you're willing to pay a few more dollars to go to something that is, you know, around the corner from your Mm. meeting, or maybe you're willing to, um, you know, go to Kohl's and do it in person and not online. So you can just be rid of something that you don't want. And for me, maybe it is, I'm willing to pay $25 extra to have an extra slot in my rent the runway monthly subscription, but it's giving, it's not having one per experience or per channel. It's having many options that allows the consumer to choose today. I need this package delivered to me and I'm willing to pay extra or tomorrow I'm willing to do two day shipping and get a discount on a free or on a future Mm. purchase. So um, I think the way we're thinking about what that looks like is evolving and it depends on the retailer type, but it's really about giving yeah. those options to let consumer the consumer choice. choose. Just going back to the, the social commerce side, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of positive things about the Instagram shopping experience. Um, is it is, like that's really sort of taking off? It is. So Instagram is continues to roll out who the partners are within. Like they, I think they don't want to roll it out to everyone right away, which makes sense because they're, is such a variety of players in terms of scale, big and small. So you could have, you know, a small little DTC brand that no one's really heard of that might be able to get products to a consumer easier, but might not have as much availability. And then there could be a retailer like a big Zara fast fashion, which is everywhere that might have more inventory, but maybe it doesn't have as much localized focus. So I think they're doing a good job at really figuring out 
who are the players that they are working with to really try to get out all those pain points and make the um, the Instagram shopping really seamless. And then they're going to continue to roll it out. So they have, um, I mentioned the shoppable, shoppable posts, and then they have that like one-click checkout. And then they also have in their own shopping profile. So it's at shop on Instagram. And they it's basically a curated assortment of a lot of those participating brands or retailers where they kind of Instagram is responsible almost as like a merchandiser for curating a variety of products that they think consumers would be interested in. Mm. So it's, they're almost becoming a a retailer in and of themselves. You know, they are essentially a a source of fulfilling the transaction, but because of this is also where consumers are going to discover, they're kind of taking on that retailer role. Very interesting. So social commerce is a big one. So, but like, so we're thinking about this, the rest, you know, the rest of the year or the next 12 to 18 months, you know, what, if if you're in this space, what else, um, should you be keeping an eye on in terms of emerging innovations? Well, Andrew, if I could just jump in, this is Diana. Um, I, we, we already did talk about cashierless technology and Amazon Go. Obviously, they were the pioneer of that technology. And I do think we need to continue to watch this. I think this is going to continue to be a, a really big technological advancement that is going to gain scale. Um, if you think about friction in the shopping journey, one of the biggest pain points of all is standing in line, right? When you go through the checkout line, people want to get in and out of the store and they don't, they don't want to go through that process. So even mm. if it's not completely a cashierless process that uses the technology like Amazon Go, we'll continue to see ways to speed up that checkout process, whether it's salespeople being empowered with mobile devices so they can just check you out right on the on the spot or more self-serve lanes. We're already starting to see that continue to, to roll out. And even some other retailers are now um, starting to emulate the Amazon Go technology. So we're seeing like Ajo Del Hayes starting to test it with a store format called Lunchbox right now. So I think that's indicative of the fact that we're going to continue to see that get really big. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I think obviously more tech in stores, you know, on various elements, uh, you know, dynamic pricing is something that we're going to see a lot more of over the next, you know, year or five years. So, you know, prices in stores reacting not only to, you know, promotional activity that's been planned for, you know, three, four weeks, but um, so in, in the Netherlands now, we've got Albert Hein, which is experimenting on discounts based on the weather outside. So if it, if it's hotter outside and, you know, the foods are going to perish quicker, they drop the prices to stop wastage in that element and cause those areas. So really mm. like integrating data into the store environment in a much bigger way. You know, we, we've obviously seen Walmart in the US do this and Microsoft and Kroger <laughs> with it. So surge, surge pricing for food. Exactly. That, that or, doesn't you know, sound good. <laughs> oh, oh, no, wow. Price of drinks goes way up. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, but there's, a, there's an important part there, you know, it, across the world now we're looking at, you know, more sustainable purchasing and those elements. Elements. And, you know, food wastage in that industry is one of the key concerns. Ooh. So, you know, all of these elements can, um, 
you know, help to reduce that while also, you know, probably driving some impulse purchasing and all those good things that we like as retailers. Um, but I think that if you look at the bigger picture, all these elements of technology, what's really exciting from my point of view is how um, we're seeing the physical store evolve and how it's allowing people to move into places they haven't been before. I, you know, I really like that quote, Alexis, you know, physical store is retail's best invention. And I think, you know, something, someone like Ikea who, you know, just... Uh, um, earlier this year announced in the UK it's going to open more city-based stores we've got a new one coming into Hammersmith you know this is a retailer that usually would sit on the edge of town huge massive stores it's now can go into inner cities in smaller format stores fulfill the same demand through technology through ordering through tablets through delivery to home through showing just a you know a single color of you know say a wardrobe but having them all there to be able to check through screens etc and I think that's what it's exciting it's bringing new retailers into you know more mm. urban areas etc or allowing smaller retailers to through things like social commerce reach a much wider audience so you know in general when we're talking about frictionless we're talking about you know a lot of physical pay points and things but also it's I, to me it's about baking down barriers for retailers to you know uh, speak to the widest audience possible yeah, but we want some friction don't we now speaking for the consumer <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, we got the, the um in the u.s of course we're at like record we're at record levels of debt uh consumer mm. debt we want some friction is there a sense here that we're going a bit too far is anyone doing anything that's you know kind of more responsible in terms of helping consumers um, I just wanted to jump in and mention the circular economy. And I think this is something that we're starting to see a lot more of. So I think in, on one side, and when I say circular economy, I mean um, a departure from the traditional linear models of retail, which is basically a good is made or a product is made. It goes, a retailer sells it, a consumer buys it, and then that's kind of it. Like we don't really track what happens to it. And it's by and large, mostly wasted. Um, so I think, Nick mentioned the sustainability aspect in that, you know, the frictionless. And I think sustainability is driving so many different ways of thinking about retail or just thinking about what, what we're buying and then what we're doing with it and why. And what we're seeing, particularly in the U.S., is that this idea of a circular economy, so either renting something or buying or selling something secondhand, but really re repurposing an item beyond its original um, intent or original uh, point of sale and kind of refurbishing it, reusing it, recycling it, whatever, um, but doing it in a way that, yes, it is good for the environment, but it's also allowing consumers consumers who are increasingly more conscious of what they're spending um, to be a little bit um, smarter about those choices. So uh, allowing them to be a little bit more conscious of what they're investing in and then maybe choosing something like renting or like buying secondhand that is not as um, excessive. You know, they don't want to be spending as much. They're more conscious of that, but they also don't want excess in their home. So we're seeing a lot. This is why people are doing, you know, home shares or ride shares. I don't want a car. I don't want to have so much in my closet. Um, we see this with like furniture rentals now are becoming bigger in the US. So I think it's kind of this idea of um, owning something is not necessarily as important as, um, you know, consumers seeing the value and being more resourceful and being able to focus on the experiences and not be as wasteful with their money and the environment. I would say too that the, that friction mm -hmm. is welcome if mm -hmm. it has an added benefit for the consumer. 
And just by way of example, we know that consumers are using their mobile device to shop when they're in the store. And our data would point to the fact that the top actions that they're doing on their mobile device are, well, one of the biggest things is comparison shopping and also looking up reviews. And so that's no surprise, but I, I recently thought it was interesting that um, Best Buy, for example, has, has really come a long way with their mobile advancements, and they have a really pretty good mobile app right now. And they're actually recognizing and just realizing that the consumer is comparison shopping while they're in the store. And in the electronics category, of course, price is probably most often the biggest attribute that's going to drive that final purchase anyway. And so Best Buy is really enabling the consumer to help them make sure that they're getting the best price by offering a a price comparison tool right in their mobile app. So they know their consumer is already doing it. So they're just making it easier for the consumer to do it. um, And they're helping them do it to reassure them that they do, they do offer the best price and they will price match guarantee as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting example. And it's, you know, it's one that you have to be confident as a retailer to do. Um, you know, here in the UK, a retailer, Dixon's uh, Carphone is what our biggest electrical specialist. So, you know, lots of different gadgets, that type of thing. But if you're on their website and, you know, we know from our data that a lot of uh, customers will, you know, particularly in electricals where they have big complex names that don't make any sense at all, um, you know, copy, copy the name and then paste it into Google to do this price search. If you do that on their website, if you highlight and copy it, it says, are you looking to price comparison? And it will show you on their site the live prices of people like Amazon, etc. So you can make that comparison on their site rather than going somewhere else. And that's another good example of, you know, keeping mm-hmm. the audience on your page, but also making that process really simple Ooh, for uh, customers. Good ones. Good examples there. It's been a fascinating conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you, Alexis, Diane and Nick. There you have it, our pre-COVID-19 analysis of frictionless shopping. I recently caught up with Alexis, Diana and Nick to see how the retail industry and this trend are being impacted today. Welcome back. Hi, Andrew. Hello. Well, a lot, <laughs> well, a lot has changed <laughs> since we had that chat, uh, for an uh, understatement. Uh, I'm glad you're all doing okay and uh, back to continue this discussion because um, it was a good discussion and uh, Nick I was thinking back to how we, like, we started that discussion by sort of almost like, framing a definition of what frictionless shopping is and you know, I guess to sum it up to sum up what you'd said is effectively thinking about a pain-free experience and I, I was um, thinking about this and I was in my local pharmacy recently I was trying to pay with Apple Pay which of course is a we had talked about as something that was uh, frictionless and my face ID didn't recognize me because I was wearing a mask um, so I had to sort of faff around I had to take my gloves off to use touch ID um, it was the, you know it was the least sort of frictionless experience that you can actually think of so how has frictionless retail taken on new meaning in this sort of age of social distancing and masks and you know where so many retail stores have shut down their physical store locations well that's a big question I think you know what we talked about before was retailers stripping out all of those pain points or friction points uh, mm-hmm. from the experience and obviously the new normal that COVID-19 has brought has added so much more friction so much more disruption to the way 
consumers are shopping. Um, so, you know, your example is just one. I mean, I know personally I've had multiple elements of friction, you know, whether it be orders not arriving. I've had a order for some paint that, you know, it's now been seven weeks and still hasn't materialized because of stock shortages. And, um, you know, there's so many points that retailers are now just trying to catch up to. We're seeing so much innovation in the market, but it's playing catch up just because this virus or this uh, outbreak, you know, we first heard about in January and come, you know, at least here in the UK, come March, everything's shut down. That leaves not a lot of time to react. So there's a lot more friction in the market, but I think out of that, we're going to get a lot more innovation as well. I could just build upon that. I agree with you, Nick. This is Diana. One thing that we're starting to see a lot of is a very big shift towards curbside service. And that's in terms both of consumers using it more, but also retailers offering it more, uh, especially those that might not have been offering it before COVID and particularly restaurants who have had to pivot really quickly. And I just recently read from Adobe that curbside pickup at retail stores was actually up 208% in the early part of April. So I really think that this is indicative of the value that consumers are, are placing on speed and wanting to maintain control of, of when they get their orders. And I think this is an opportunity for retailers to look towards touch points like this as a way to build consumer trust and potentially be seen as a, a viable alternative for the stores they can't shop at right now or if they don't want to go into the store. But uh, I, I think that contactless, while it's one way to remove friction, and it's certainly a pivot that many retailers are taking. I think the key to executing it successfully and making sure it is frictionless is to make sure that retailers are not just necessarily, you know, talking the talk, but they're also kind of walking the walk. And we've seen a lot of instances where they'll put out communication about what they're doing in light of COVID-19 in their stores. But then when the consumer goes into the store, they're not exactly experiencing that. So they're not seeing the social distancing. They're not seeing customers forced or or encouraged to wear masks. Uh, They're not going down the aisles in the right direction and that, that sort of thing. So I think that could cause some additional friction and some backlash if the experience is a, a stressful one um, and doesn't match what they what they expect and what they've been told you know by the retailer as well I just wanted to add on that I think that's a great point I personally I had a really frustrating experience at Whole Foods I was like aggressively going down the aisles because it is so frustrating when if one person abides by it why, why is it anyone else it's like it just eliminates the whole point of it right. but not to make this a personal rant about my own shopping habits. Um, I think the curbside thing is really interesting because, you know, traditionally we've seen those offers really associated with essential retailers or essential purchases. So things like groceries or Target, Walmart, um, that's really where I think a lot of the curbside initiative started. And it's interesting to see how different sectors within retail are getting really creative, um, you know, whether or not they even thought of it as an option before. So, um, I followed two brands that I really love. It's this handbag designer, Claire V, and then a home textile brand, Heather Taylor Home. Um, they're both both based out of LA, um, and they are smaller businesses, but both of them um, pilot at curbside pickup 
during Mother's Day because Mother's Day is such a traditionally big um, sales occasion for them. And so they offered, Clairview I think has like seven locations in LA and elsewhere, but in LA only. Um, she promoted her curbside pickup services for I think Mother's Day weekend and then they've continued it. And so did Heather Taylor Home, but they've also used social media to promote that. So it's kind of like, how can I like be as nimble as possible and you know tell my customer, my loyal base that, hey, we're still here, we're still doing this and this is an opportunity. Um, and I also saw that J crew, um, they are go which that's a whole nother story, but they are as stores reopen, they are going to be offering curbside pickup too, which I think is really interesting. And I, cause I, I've never seen that for a clothing purchase. I think like Nordstrom has done that, but for a lot of like specialty retailers, um, I've never seen that as an option before. And I was saying to a coworker the other day, I would do that even if I don't have anything to buy. I would buy something just so I can literally go out and pick it up because I All want right, the yes. interaction. So I think it's really interesting like to see how people are um, you know, testing and experimenting because right now is the time. Well, yeah, I think that's the key word, isn't it? It's like, because it's such uncharted territory mm-hmm. and all of these sort of things are new tests. So like, it's interesting, I guess, you know, different categories can learn from others kind of to, exactly. your, to, to your point. So it's like you say, whether it's grocery, you know, retail learning from grocery or mm-hmm. you know, even, even uh, banking, there's a very small bank so retail banking, you know, there's a very small bank called Citizens Bank of Edmund that announced that it was doing curbside banking um, oh, fairly recently. Gosh. Yeah, and they could, because they didn't have enough capacity to do it through drive throughs So they're interesting, some version of curbside banking. So it, I get uncharted territory and then sort of learning from each other, right, is the, is the yeah. key. I just experienced a, uh, a very... Um, friction, I would say frictionful experience this morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, I placed an order at uh, Home Depot. I wanted three items. And first of all, I went through and went through the checkout. And one of them, I thought I was I was choosing the option to pick up curbside. But then when I got to checkout and got my receipt, I saw that two of the items were um, labeled for delivery, which I didn't want. So I went back, canceled those two items, and then went back in and to start a new order and tried to rebuy those two items, but then one of them wasn't available at the store that I wanted to go to, so I had to pick a different store, and then the other one wasn't available at all, so it's now not going to be delivered until, like, June 2nd, so... Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I guess it's important, you know, for the consumer, too, to also just make sure you're paying attention to yes, what, what yes. you are selecting yeah, at that's checkout, because now I need to go to two stores and get the individual items and wait for my delivery, so... Yes, trial and error, I guess. I mean, incidentally, right. just going back to my mask experience at the pharmacy, I did. I have read that Apple is is sort of testing an update to its software that will be better at recognizing people's faces uh, with masks hmm. on. Man, yeah, but also That's Sam- the reality. We yeah, I know. I mean, who <laughs> would have thought, right? These sort right. of changing needs would evolve <laughs> in this way. And 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 Samsung has uh, retinal scanning, so it kind of gives it an advantage. Oh wow! Over the face ID. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, who would, who would have thought we'd be trying to navigate these sorts of changing consumer needs? And of course, so we're, so we're all you know being forced to shop online more, whether it's curbside or uh, asking for curbside pickup or, or where, however that might be. Um, and there are clearly going to be winners and losers in this uh, coming out of this pandemic. You know, Amazon is a, a company that's really you know talked about as one that's really being you know 
set to benefit from all of this, of course, because so many people have Amazon Prime and so many people are using Amazon. But, you know, can it cope or has it been able to cope with this demand? You know, are there sort of other opportunities for other types of companies to, to, to step in? What do, you, what do you think? I can speak to this, Andrew, because uh, I'm, all, I'm all over Amazon right now because I've actually just written a report called The Amazon Effect. So it's been really interesting to watch how the company has responded to COVID-19. And I think this is a case where we're seeing COVID um, has even really disrupted the disruptor itself as the, you know, the world's largest online retailer has also had some difficulties keeping up with the demand. Just like everybody, it was really caught off guard uh, at the initial onset of COVID with the excessive amount of orders. And Amazon saw traffic levels that are on par with what it usually sees during the winter holidays, except it has about six months usually to prepare for the holidays. Um, so it definitely has had to go through a little bit of uh, growing pains. Um, initially, Amazon was limiting orders to just essential items. And if you've tried to shop on the site, you might have come into contact with long, longer delivery options for non-essential orders. But I know that just last week, they announced that they expect to be getting back on track and within the guaranteed timeframes within a couple of weeks now for, for all orders. So they're definitely catching up, uh, even though they were also caught off guard. Uh, they're hiring like 170,000 people to help with the demand. You know, they've made a, a number of process changes in their, in their fulfillment centers, and they're planning on donating an estimated $4 billion in profits from Q2 into COVID efforts. So they're, I think they're, they're catching up. They're doing a good job, but you know, it is an opportunity for other retailers to get some attention at this time and try to fill some of the gaps that Amazon hasn't been able to deliver upon. I think Walmart is one where we've seen, I mean, I feel like they've always been pretty toe to toe with Amazon or try to be because they probably have the most um, resources to compete. And I think it was a, the week before last, but time is fluid right now. So forgive me if that's not the most accurate um, timestamp. But uh, they Walmart introduced um, an express delivery service. So it pretty much rivals Amazon Prime. You can place your order online, have it delivered within two hours. They have um, shoppers in Walmart that will basically pick the items and fulfill the order just as you know you see Amazon Prime shoppers doing in a Whole Foods um, and then they have it delivered. And I think obviously that's something new, but what is important about that is that's going to introduce this concept of online grocery ordering, delivery, the seamless shopping capability, and that that quick service to a lot more consumers. Because even though a lot of people um, are Prime members and are Whole food shoppers, I think there's arguably a bigger audience base in, you know, who Walmart is, is serving. And I think that also introduces this concept to a consumer that maybe wasn't even aware of it before. If you think of like Walmart being in really rural areas or um, it's just a different consumer base. So I think it it is bringing that to a broader audience. And I think that that just signals that this really is because it is uncharted territory. Like you said, Andrew, it's a chance for retailers to really try to swoop in and potentially grab new customers because 
this scenario is so unprecedented that it's forcing a lot of us um, as consumers to really um, abandon or let go of any kind of pre-existing loyalty or brand preferences. You know, that doesn't mean you're not going to shop where you normally would or not going to buy the brands or products that you normally would, but you kind of have to be a little less choosy. Yeah, I think that's something we've also seen mirrored here in the UK um, in terms of our latest data for, you know, the retail sales data. Amazon was, you know, got hit hard in the initial weeks of because that's where everyone would turn to if you need online. But that forced it to, you know, reduce the number of products it was offering, particularly for same day services. And, you know, it really struggled to keep up. I mean, it, here now in the UK, you know, similar measures as you talk about in terms of, you know, thousands of new hires, that type of thing of ease that situation. But actually, we saw in the early weeks, a lot of people going to those brands that they haven't seen. And, and I think one of the real legacies of this, you know, growth or, you know, heightened demand in the online market is actually it's making businesses reassess the need for online. So, you know, a retail like Primark here in the UK, which is our second or third largest clothing retailer in the UK, doesn't trade online. And thus its statement to investors through April was we didn't sell anything. And, you know, that really reassesses it. I mean, I don't think they will change, but someone like Aldi, who has a similar stance here in the UK, started selling food boxes three, four weeks ago, and today has announced a partnership with Deliveroo, so, you know, an Instacart or a Postmates equivalent to now sell groceries through it. And that's a massive change for that type of business. And on the complete other end of the scale, with more consumers shopping locally, I think our latest tracker data shows around a third of consumers here in the UK are shopping with more local. Uh, businesses we've seen a number of those jump up and one of my favorite examples is there's a uh, local uh, independent uh, donut business crosstown donuts here in the uk but they banded together with five other independents uh, going across butchers to coffee makers to create food boxes and then to sell online for the first time and again that's just an example of them looking at this and thinking right, we're out, we are weak in these situations without online. I think that's going to grow uh, competition within the online market moving forward. Yeah, and that's creative, isn't it? Like working with partners to to actually uh, to, to actually meet that changing need. Because, I mean, it's sort of going back with our theme of frictionless, of course. You know, that's the thing about Amazon. It was always so easy. It was always so easy to just get on that app and just order because you knew you'd get something in a couple of days or, or, or even sooner. But, of course, once you start to see that friction in place, then maybe you'll start to consider... Uh, other options. I saw it, I was, where I was thinking about our chat today and I, I saw an interesting ad on Instagram from Best Buy. Just thought it was interesting, um, like sort of a message, you know, it says, they were saying, you know, we'll keep, they had the sort of line, we'll keep you. And it said, we'll keep you working. We'll keep you cooking. We'll keep you playing. We'll keep you dancing. And then each time they were sort of showing us some lifestyle imagery and of course, showcasing, you know, technology that you could use in each of those sort of, sort of, categories so and advertising going back to your your points earlier about door um you know uh, curbside um and doorstep delivery sort of talk, talking about those different options as well so another one to sort of throw in the mix as an interesting uh, contender um so i just sort of going just thinking forward then and as we start to open up and of course we're seeing across the um, you know, countries and and states starting to open up and retailers having to incorporate social distancing rules into their operations and be creative really you know where where do you think we'll see new pain points um and you know how how are they going to adapt 
I'll answer this or at least start it off. I think um, one of the biggest pain points is going to be the store and the in-store experience because if what even as stores reopen, what we can do in a store is going to be really limited. You know, trying on clothes, uh, interacting face to face with a salesperson or a sales associate, all of that's going to be challenged, um, let mm. alone facing, you know, consumers who may be very concerned about um, going to a store, concerned about traffic, you know, limiting the amount of people inside a store. All of those are going to be things that we never had to deal with before and that retailers are really going to have to figure out because if the reasons that we used to go to a store are going to be restricted, then what is the point of the store? Um, so I think that really kind of um, managing the consumer expectations and figuring out how to kind of manage the capabilities in the stores in the interim and then, you know, figuring out more long term, what does the role of the store look like? That's going to be really crucial. And I feel like this is where some stores, some retailers are going to have to really reevaluate their present, their physical store presence, their real estate. How many stores are too many stores? Um, but then also, what is the purpose of going into a store and kind of reevaluating that and figuring out ways to um, leverage some of the other capabilities online and through social media to kind of, you know, bridge that gap as we kind of navigate the steps forward. So um, during this time, consumers are going to have grown more more comfortable conducting more of those pre-purchase steps online because they haven't really had any other option. So maybe figuring out how to transfer some of those traditional steps that were done in stores online or through social media in the interim is going to be really crucial. Um, I know that that's a broad answer, but I think it's a big one because we don't know what, what the store experience is going to look like. And that's going to be a lot of the reasons for going into a store were to remove points of friction. And now it's going to be a point of friction. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, it's the pain points right now, at least both, both in-store and online, initially and for a while here, are all going to be about cleanliness and sanitation. We do have some research, Andrew, that we've already conducted and we, we ask consumers what is important to them in terms of what they think about when they're choosing where to shop. What do they want to see from retailers? And the top three answers were, first of all, they want to see hand sanitizer and cleaning wipes readily available. They want to have information and updates about the store's cleanliness and sanitation policies. And they want to see contactless payment options. So all of that just tells us that cleanliness and sanitation is front of mind for consumers. And I think it goes back to what I said before, that if consumers don't experience the stated policies in the store, that will definitely add friction. Uh, of course, right now, we're also seeing some friction around out-of-stocks and, and delays, and, and hopefully that will eventually you know, work itself out. But uh, for a consumer, for example, that's trying to shop online for groceries, maybe for the first time, if they're running into roadblocks, not able to get delivery timeframes or not able to get the items that they want and they don't find out that they can't get them until checkout or you know, when they actually get their order, that will probably cause them to abort online grocery in the future and go back into the store. Mm. Yeah, I think I think what is something we're going to see is also people reassessing the type of shopping locations they associate with 
being frictionless. Um, so I was looking through this morning um, the latest footfall data from uh, the British Retail Consortium here in the UK. And what was noticeable was, you know, footfall was down 80% in April, as you'd expect with, you know, stores closed. But retail parks or those out of town, you know, dedicated retail shops with, you know, big box stores on, their footfall was down a lot less than any other location. And that's something we're going to see coming out of uh, lockdown here in the UK is that consumers may reassess, you know, those types of locations have seen, have been out of vogue, you know, as more shopping has come into the urban area, people mixing those with online shopping, but actually now they have more car parking space, they have bigger stores where it's easier to socially distance, and they have more room to do queuing type systems. So actually, we're going to see some benefit there, whereas, you know, the urban areas with smaller stores where it's harder to do this, it's going to be much more challenging. And I think you're going to need to see technology, you know, by appointment shopping, that type of thing come in and, you know, reassess, uh, reassure consumers that you know they'll be properly safe when in the in-store environment i guess one thing is for sure is that change is uh there's a rapid pace of change um and you know consumer needs are changing so i think we'll leave it there i think we'll you know be great to catch up again at another point because uh you know so much is changing so quickly uh but thank you uh for coming back for another chat uh thank you everyone for listening Make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast on Apple or Spotify or any other platform you get your podcast from. Uh, we'll catch you next week for another episode of Little Conversation. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are, what we do, head over to Mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. Thank you. Thank you.